Hello and welcome to Rooted Together Podcast, a podcast with James Root, you in Christ through his word together. I'm your host, Charles Hegwood, and today we are in Luke chapter 3, and we're going to begin and continue, really, the story of John the Baptist. Now, we I say begin because it's really the first time we hear more details about him, but we don't really begin, begin here because in chapter one, we are introduced to his birth, and we're told that he grows in wisdom and stature and in the Lord, and we're told that he is in the desert of Judea waiting until the time that God has set for him to begin his ministry. And so in chapter 3, we begin the ministry of John the Baptist. So we we pan the camera from the birth story of Jesus, from Jesus as a 12-year-old in the temple to John the Baptist in the wilderness. And again, Luke does this thing where he sets it in a real historical context. We have a bunch of historical names, Tiberius, Caesar, Pontius, Pilate, Herod, of Galilee, Philip, and different areas there as well. And when we have several other leaders and governmental people named, and that's not unimportant because Luke, again, he is tying this into real historical and geographical context. He is telling his reader, which we know is Theophilus. Now, whether that is a person or that just means lover of God, which is what the name Theophilus means, we're, we're not sure, but he's telling his reader that you can trust this. history. You can go back and research this. You can look at these names and these areas, and you can go back and talk to people. And he's daring the reader to do that. Now, of course, we're much removed from that, but we have access through the internet to all of that information, and we can find out through other resources that those are real people in real time and real places. And he's placing Jesus within that time. Now, John the Baptist is there. So it's during the, and again, during the priesthood of Ananias and Cephas, and Cephas will come back at the end of Luke, and we'll see him again. The word of God came to John, son of Zechariah. We learned about him in chapter one, in the wilderness, which is where John is. So we have, and we'll find Jesus in the wilderness in chapter four. John is living in the wilderness where he has been until God has, God told him to be ready, and now he is. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now, this was unusual. People did not do this. So as it was written in the the words of Isaiah, the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh will see the salvation of God. So enter John. His birth was meant to prepare the way for Jesus, and we find John doing just that. Now, how is he doing that? He's proclaiming repentance and forgiveness out in the wilderness. And this fulfills the prophet Isaiah that we just read. So he's fulfilling scripture. He's doing what God has called him to do. It says the the word of God came to John and he is preaching the word of God faithfully in the wilderness. And what is his plea? If we were to read what he says in verse seven and eight, here is a summary of what he's saying. Stop bearing bad fruit. Do what is right. 
bear good fruit. This is at the heart of what it means to repent. So John is preaching repentance, bearing good fruit. It is the heart of repentance. It's not, repentance is not, and this is important, it's not feeling sad or it's not feeling guilty. It's not a, I got caught in sin, so now I feel bad and I'll repent because I, I don't like this feeling. I don't like what people are thinking about me. It is instead moving away from that sin. Now, how do we do that? By bearing good fruit. Repentance must always always involve positive action. Here, John relates that as good fruit. So notice the different groups that are listening to John as he's preaching in the Jordan. There's three distinct groups that are mentioned here. And so he, John, he is talking, and and what he tells them is important. He tells the crowd, these are your average Joes who have wandered out into the wilderness to see this spectacle of a guy who is dressed weird and looks funny, preaching a message that sounds unique, because it is unique. No other teacher was teaching these things, and, and John is as he's preparing God's people. And so the average Joes, what does he say to the crowds? What shall we do? Because he's talking about bearing good fruit. So they, they ask, what do we do? And he answers them, whoever has two eunuchs, share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. I mean, share your food. So what is he telling them? He's telling them, do good things. Don't be greedy or selfish. Instead, be giving and selfless. This is what it looks like to be the people of God. It is to be selfless. It is to be giving. It is to be loving. It is to be the opposite of what we naturally are. We're naturally greedy. We're naturally selfish. We see people in need, but, oh, I don't want to give my stuff away. And he says, it's going to look unnatural because that's not natural. That's different. And he's saying that's the way it will be if you are the people of God. Second group, and probably the most scandalous of the groups he talks to, is the tax collectors, who were much hated in this time period. They were on the bottom of the food chain of social order. People hated them, but they were rich. Often because they extorted people, they took extra taxes, some for themselves, and they got to keep what was on top. As long as they gave to Rome, it was Rome's. So John calls them to to conduct honest business. So he tells them to the tax collectors who ask, teacher, what shall we do? Which is amazing. They're even asking that. He says, collect no more than you are authorized to do, which means don't collect more than what you're supposed to do. So he is telling them, your repentance is is to be doing what is right. Do the opposite of what you have been doing. You've been extorting people. You've been taking more money than you're supposed to take. Don't do that. Take what you're supposed to take. Live off of an honest wage instead of stealing from the people of God. And the third group, probably also controversial here, are soldiers. And again, he's calling them to do jobs with honor because they ask, well, what do we do? Certainly, we don't take more money. And this is what he he tells them, you know, because they're not taking taxes up. So what do we do? He tells them, don't extort money from anyone with threats or false accusations. So one of the things soldiers did from, from what we're reading, we can gather what they did is they would go to people and they would say, 
hey, I'm going to tell you know the judge that you did this unless you give me this much money. And, and what John is doing and calling people to repentance is saying, don't do that. Be content with your wages. Be content with what you're earning and don't steal what is lacking you. So you may not be content with your wages. So don't go extort people to get what you think you should get. Now, he is calling all three of these groups to do good things. So that calls into the to question here, is doing good things meriting grace? And I would say by no means. None of these things merit grace. Doing good things, bearing good fruit does not give you or grant you grace or salvation, but it does and it is a fruit of grace. Meaning if you have received the grace of God, you will bear good fruit because as a result of and because of the grace you have received. Again, John is preparing them for a new life that will come not through him, but through Jesus, because the next few verses here, verses 15 through 22, people are excited. This is new teaching. They begin asking, John, are you the anointed one? Are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah? John knows his role. And he tells them, no, the, the person who comes after me, I'm not even worthy to tie his sandal. Surely not. I am not the one. He, he's not trying to to be in the limelight. He understands who he is, what his purpose is. He merely points people to Jesus. So what does he say? He says, look at Jesus, the one that comes after me. He's he's telling, I'm not the guy. I'm preparing you. I'm baptizing you with water. It's symbolic, but he who comes after me, he doesn't say the name, but Jesus, we know he's talking about Jesus. He baptizes with the Holy Spirit. His baptism will bring you new life. I am simply preparing you for that new life. This is real power. The real power comes from Christ, the real power to change people's hearts. Jesus is mightier. Jesus is greater in our lives. So let's take it out of this context. And we go across the cultural bridge and the time bridge, and we put it into our, into our time. What does it mean for us to our lives today in our lives and various ministries? We must realize that Jesus is king. He does, and we do not, meaning we do not change people's lives. Jesus does. He uses us as a tool of that change, but we are not the one changing hearts. Nothing you say, nothing you do can change someone's heart. Only the power of the cross, only the power of God, only the Holy Spirit can do that through Jesus. You cannot. What that means is, one, take a little bit of the burden off of your shoulders. If you've been sharing Christ with a friend and they have not accepted It's not you who can make them accept Christ. They must make that decision. The power of the Holy Spirit will accomplish that. Your job is to be faithful in telling and telling and telling and telling. You are to be faithful in telling and sharing the message of the gospel to all the people you bump shoulders with. God's job, God's power is the one that changes hearts. We are to simply be faithful. What it means is that we are to prepare our hearts to realize that God has the true power. And that's what John is telling them. So preaching the good news has detractors as well. And we see that even within here, people like such as Herod, it says, but Herod, everybody's excited by the way. So it says, let's look at verse 18 first. So many other teachings, he, he preached good news to the people. They're excited, but Herod, 
who had been uh, had been reproved by John earlier. We're not given that detail in Luke, but he does he he says some things to Herod because what he's doing is not good. He kills his brother, takes his brother's wife, uh, and he's doing all other evil things. It says. Um, that uh, there are other things that he did, and he added this to them all, that he locked John in prison. So Herod is a bit of a detractor here. As, as John is preaching the good news, Herod's not happy with that. He arrests John and has him thrown in jail and later killed. So I want you to understand that preaching the gospel has detractors, and it has a cost. It has a cost for us today. We will find people in our lives that don't like what we are saying. And it will have a social cost. It will have maybe even a financial cost. It will have an emotional cost as well. That's true. That was true for John. It is true for us today. John makes powerful enemies. You might do the same in preaching the gospel. Preach faithfully anyway. Watch this. He's arrested. He's later killed. Yet John kept preaching and kept proclaiming he did not stop he knew his purpose he knew whose he was do you know who you belong to if you are a follower of jesus you are a child of the king you keep preaching you keep proclaiming the gospel to all of those who might may even not like it who may taunt you who may even fire you. I mean, obviously don't do it obnoxiously. I'm not telling you to be obnoxious, uh, but what I am telling you is faithfully proclaim the gospel, faithfully share your faith. If it costs you, you keep doing it all the same. John kept preaching to the point they cut his head off. It comes with a cost, but it's worth it. It's worth it because we are children of the king. So Luke summarizes, and he does something funny in verses 21. He summarizes Jesus' baptism. Matthew goes into more detail. Uh, Luke just gives literally about a verse. It says, Now when all the people were baptized, and when John had also bab- uh, Jesus had also been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descends on him bodily in bodily form, like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, and you are with you, I am well pleased. And then the next part of this chapter we'll cover in the next episode is Jesus begins his ministry. But what I want to end with today, and as we end our time together, I want to say we, we, we pick up some valuable things. One, repentance must be shown by bearing good fruit. It is not true repentance in your life if you're not bearing good fruit. If you are continuing in the bad fruit, you have not repented. Saying, I'm sorry, is not repentance. Telling God, well, I'm sorry, is not repentance. I got caught. I feel bad, is not repentance. You must bear good fruit. Do the opposite of the bad fruit that you're bearing. If you are hurting somebody, don't hurt them anymore. Do positively good things for them. You need to make changes in your life. If you are a Christ follower, this has to be a passion of ours is to bear good fruit. Jesus will have more words on that later in Luke and he and later in other gospels as well. Jesus is clear about that. You must bear good fruit especially in Mark. Uh, But here in Luke, we see that repentance results from, or the result of repentance is bearing good fruit. And we also see that proclaiming the gospel has a cost. 
it has a cost, but we also see here, and this is the encouraging word. Yes, it has a cost, but when we preach the gospel, it unleashes the power of God. It is the power of God that changes hearts and not ourselves. So we are to simply be faithful. God is with us when we endure pain. He is with us when we endure suffering, and he alone changes hearts. Continue faithfully preaching the word. Bear good fruit in repentance and know that you belong Christ. Thank you for joining me in Rooted Together. I look forward to joining you in the second part of chapter three next time. I'll see you there. 